0: What Fuentes said, Nick Fuentes, the famous racist who had lunch with Trump, or what he grinned through, sure we would agree, as if a not racist relationship to life were so effortful that only liberals could do it that in the minds of the right that effortful lot insisting as they do that their system is more natural and human than mine than ours i have not found it so a multitude of authorities and or none at all seems okay to me he sneered about eastern bazaars strange i thought even in the most unexposed imagination in the ivory west it's at least Exotic, even in a Disney imagination, a James Bond imagination, it's a place of mystery and beauty. I have been in some real ones and they stand up. I have been in some English versions in old market towns where stalls and shouts seemed to be from the Roman era. There they are, Cusco to Madrid. Open air, fresh foods, haggling, universally filled with local music and shouts and babbles. And it scares you. And the conundrum of his name and color, self-hating the self-hate that is the raw fuel of much we call civilized in our land of forests and the cross. Do we assume that the village in the high Andes contains no conversation or eroticism? Or are we just not capable of, in fact, of either, whether we, wherever we plant our Trader Joe's? Then he said they were dirty. Aha! Who taught the Europeans to bathe? It did not come natural. How severe must that upbringing be? I understand one clings to mom, but how long? We hear the stories over and over of young ones struggling to get out of the many ghettos. Is it not okay to say I want out of the gated community? Golf is not in my future. Is curiosity banned? Yes, it is. Has the community stopped telling its children, do everything the priest tells you to do? So it was fascinating to see the Fuentes' racism not really because it was sad and bad but what it implied, what he implied as safe, clean and home, a prison. Why are we proud of a prison? In 2020, Trump got 74 million votes. In 2012, Obama got 69.5 million votes. We might say that 74 million racist idiots, or the fault of Fox News, or the Russians, again. We might blame Facebook, we do, for making us imagine that Democrats are pedophiles, or all socialists, I wish, or accept a shared responsibility. Somebody grew up with, went to church with, went to school and work with, had beers with, and laughed with the 74 million i know i did we used to agree on something pledged the same allegiance sang the same anthem believed in the same exceptionalism the same new jerusalem then some of us woke up and stopped believing i suggest that's the dilemma not the other way around when you stop believing in lies it's good to know why so you can tell your friends when i was 16 i was on a greyhound bus in Boston, on my way to adventure, behind me, a young GI was chatting to a young woman, probably chatting up. He was back from a tour in Vietnam. She asked how that, how that was. He said it was terrible, but somebody had to defend our freedoms. She sighed and said, I don't believe that anymore. I know it's what everyone says, but I don't believe it anymore. He was thunderstruck. He went quiet. Then she asked where he was going that day. Home, he said. And the conversation went on. Two young, brave Americans on a bus, both needing to believe some story. One needed to believe more than the other, I guess. It isn't just Georgia. It's a whole civilization. Is it because dictators employed historians, praise singers and poets to record their doings? That what we are told were great civilizations were all brutal dictatorships. The deeds of leaders only are recorded insofar as they did anything at all or just simply were in office when Shakespeare wrote Sophocles. Do we believe instinctively not because John Meacham insisted that the leader shoulders on despite the collective inertia and prevails that Churchill was so sorely alone in England opposing Hitler where flabby leadership would otherwise have chosen to appease? There is a thing I think indeed that of the small collection of leaders he would have stood out but the war was fought by tens of thousands of others actually fought all deciding in individual hearts to fight and kill and die. My point here is not bullshit, my usual position, nor my feeling. I'm just wondering about those stories. Perhaps how a young man or woman might join up, inspired by something other than duty or love of country, perhaps by adventure or ambition, sensing that soldiering will be the making of them, the trial they were born to endure. And where they might go after, should they survive? More of Johnny got his gun. Can we take more? In our focus, so often on a certain individual of a certain class and background, because the imagining of everyone actually having a singular self is just too overwhelming. What would we do with that if we took it on? Who would we blithely send off to war? That other 1%? The top 1% does not fight. As a tangent, when we focus on Hunter Biden and his sad actions, do we forget Beau, the other son, who trod where no Trump has ever trod, nor thought to tread? Or are we doing our inevitable hero, scapegoat, sad dance, not so blatant, and drawing so much participation from so many non-Bos? Might the first democracy not have been a revolution, but a memory? Soon, Since we seem to start history that day, on that day, in Piraeus, and say it was Cleisthenes, the Aristocrat, responding to the discontent of the men who did the fighting, navy and army, perhaps there were a few among the discontent who said, oi, why don't we try this? And Clay thought, oh, that's a good idea. I remember that one, like the first scene of the Iliad, a lord challenges a king who is king because the lords agreed he was king. And it is worthy thinking that maybe Cleisthenes and later Themistocles, not an aristocrat, did not see themselves as inventors of a system, a CEO, but revivalists. What then? What we do, of course, is project our own slavishness on the Greeks. Our post-feudal notions really just post-feudal, as we we are not close to beyond them yet. There are some reasons to admire the Greeks of that time, beyond their relentless militarism, the art that challenged that militarism. But my biggest call would be that they were exactly not like us. But the struggle back then, so well documented, was the assertion of a birth of authoritarianism over a previously recalcitrant and free culture. We are looking at the beginning of kings, not the end of them. We like to think it was the enlightened prince, but Plato loved Sparta more than Athens. You should know that. We do not know, I certainly don't, we just assume, but it is possible to see it that way. The U.S. Constitution is saturated with and driven by terror of the mob. An English ruling class inheritance they could easily have overcome. That they didn't has always left me unimpressed with claims of revolution. Equality as a truth was left to Marxists and we see how much boogeyman that provides to a culture addicted to enemies. It could be useful to ask, in this day, whether our democracy is one at all, since we have made very small attempts to expand our values beyond the 2,000 years of kings, queens, and popes we came from. Would the Greeks be as obedient as we? Their pantheon was a barbaric lot, no source or call to obedience there. My readers will hate this, but had we dragged those insurrectionists into a town hall and not a court and demanded to know what they were thinking and why, we might have had a real democratic happening. The shock and horror framing the action as an attack on sacred institutions I find very creepy. I have little sympathy with their grievances or their reasons, but they do have them, and they are fellow citizens. Our real ancient affinity, by the way, is with Rome, from I Claudius to Rome by the BBC The accent and behaviours of Aristos are those are so British without this affinity, there is no reason to engage with these ghastly people. I do wish Vercingetorix had won. We are told he was a barbarian compared to what this despotic lot. Give me some of that barbar. Might we today be so insistent on freedom, individual, of speech, of religion, because we are so naturally obedient? I would say, for instance, in the simplest sense, that one of the many reasons I have rejected a one-God religion is that I don't want anyone or anything telling me what to do, or more importantly, what to feel. My rights to my feelings is paramount, and since the monotheists specialize in demanding my hate, I hate them. It seems that being told what to do, what to think, to feel where and with whom is something people crave. It is powerful stuff. I don't. Do the historians of the Tsars journalists of the presidents, the biographers, set out to convince us that Lincoln or Peter the Great were extraordinary phenomena, and that the countries they ruled when they did were greatly transformed by their time in office or on the throne, or do they tell that story because we like them and will buy their books? It seems that a lot of very well-educated people are very exercised by this notion of great men, mostly men, who moved mountains and dredged seas. Why do I watch a contemporary BBC documentary about the Spanish Armada which focuses entirely on what Elizabeth thought, or Lord Howard put in charge of the Navy, not because he had any experience or expertise, but because he was a well-born lord? Sir Francis Drake appeared to have at least some considerable merit as a pirate, of humble origins, but a seaman at least. Even today, the otherwise very inventive BBC chooses not to look at the armada from the point of view of, say, a gunner below decks. Just a thought might catch on. Dickens gave a soul to the low. They are out there, Zola, Sholokov, Steinbeck, even Tolstoy, with his marvellous captain in war and peace, who wins the vital battle, saves the regiment, while the aristocrat commander is dancing at a party. How many times has this happened in history? My list are fictionalizers, inventors of people and stories. And I'm not asking that we find working class heroes. I'm suggesting we find no heroes at all. Presume there was a common goodness, a whole heroic regiment. We have been taught to imagine a leader always. And so it goes. Boring. There is a trend on both sides of the aisle or in the center of our history and traditions that a large part of personal freedom is now in the right to tell other people what to do, say, or think. A friend posted the other day that she would start defriending people who had political arguments on her page. I know how she feels, though for some reason these arguments never happen on my page. What am I doing wrong? Still I see the ones on hers, and it is horrible sometimes. She reminds us that in a polite society, one can see why they insist no discussion of politics at the table. I've heard this. This society is the undemocratic one we are all heir to. After the 2,000 years of hushing up and leaving politics to the men, speaking out will be rough at first. Imagining hate is an invention of Zuckerberg is just silly.